Hey everybody, welcome to the export. I'm Raven X and alongside me as always is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who may be the fan of the next great NBA dynasty. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm doing good. It's a nice early Friday morning. Looking forward to getting this day over with so I can enjoy the weekend. I feel you. I'm actually off today and I can't tell you the last time I was off on a Friday, so besides therapy and a nap and going to the gym at some point i have no plans whatsoever so and i'm i'm very excited about that but i'm also excited about the show that we have for you guys today after recent moves by the saints and the eagles we're going to talk where they stack up in their respective divisions we're also going to pick four teams that missed the playoffs last year that look playoff bound this upcoming year and then of course we're going to look at the nba and we got to break down this patrick beverly versus cp3 drama is patrick beverly just a hater or is there some merit to his his claims but before we get to any of that please be sure to check out the export.net i repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers previous episodes of our lovely podcast our youtube channel entitled the x report so starting things off with the nfl quite a few moves were made um in this past week for example the packers spent big money on cornerback jair alexander um where they have reached a four-year 84 million dollar contract extension with which includes the corner getting $31 million in the first year of that deal, which once again, I think just goes to show that you and I chose the wrong career choices because good gosh. Um, moving on to the Atlanta Falcons, after it's clear that they still needed some wide receiver help despite drafting um, Drake London and signing other guys, uh, the Raiders have ended up trading former second-round pick Brian Edwards to the team um, in exchange for the Falcons' fifth-round pick next year. So shout-out to them for getting some bodies there. The Dolphins made a good signing of bringing in uh, free agent defensive end Melvin Ingram, provides some really nice depth to that defensive line. Um, and then finally, Philip Lindsay, former running back, who's kind of bounced around a bit, but people forget he did have two seasons with over a thousand yards rushing, has signed a one-year deal with the Colts, making a pretty interesting backfield but with him and Jonathan Taylor. But let's get to the bigger news. Um, for example, the Philadelphia Eagles, as I kind of mentioned, they've been making a lot of moves this offseason, and most recently they signed cornerback James Bradbury, who was recently released by the New York Giants, to a one-year $10 million deal uh, with $7.25 million guaranteed. I mean, Ethan, you and I kind of talked about this last week with the moves that the Eagles have been making um, in the draft by getting to Kobe Dean, a player we both love, another guy um, – Jordan Davis, who's going to be great on that D-line. I mean, and then, of course, traded for A.J. Brown. And then they also signed Hassan Reich in free agency. So, in my opinion, looking at what the Eagles have done and just their roster overall from top to bottom, I would say that they're the best team in the NFC East. Would you agree to that? Yeah, I think so as well. I think the only thing that, um, the only thing that might hold the Eagles back is their quarterback play. Because they have great skill positions and um, players in every position. But we all know that in order to be a successful NFL franchise, you need a competent quarterback. And who's to say um, Jalen Hurts just had some rookie struggles last year. But if he's able to, I think if he's able to, as far as a passer goes, if he's able to be a decent level passer, and you sprinkle in his athletic abilities as a runner and everything else that you have around, I definitely think they can win that division. Yeah, and I think you really hit it on the head. I was talking about this with somebody else, but truthfully, the Eagles go as far as Jalen Hurts can take them because I think when you look at their defense, I mean, Darius Slade, Fletcher Cox, um, we already talked about it with Jordan Davis, Nicobe Dean, um, that, and now James Bradbury. They definitely have a group of guys defensively that can make things shake offensively. You get A.J. Brown, who is clearly going to be your number one, Devontae, um, Devontae, oh my gosh, I feel so bad. I just forgot this dude's last name. Devontae Smith, and then, of course, Dallas Goddard is already in the fold. So it seems like the Eagles are really piece by piece, building up a really solid team. But as you mentioned, Jalen Hurts in his first couple years in the league has been a bit up and down. I think that we really haven't seen that star-like performance for him. If anything, he's just kind of been getting by. And I think he knows and everybody else knows that this is kind of his audition year because they're giving him all the tools to succeed. So, like you said, if he can be 
serviceable at least, I think that they can really do some damage in that division. All right, let's keep it in the NFC and talk the NFC South. Kind of salty about it, but the move makes sense. Jarvis Landry signing a one-year, $6 million deal with the New Orleans Saints returning home. He joins a team that not only just signed uh, Tyron Matthew, another Louisiana native, but also recently drafted Chris Olave um, and Trevor Penning to help uh, add to their offensive line and receiving cores, respectively. Their defense is still looking stats. So you and I kind of talked about this. Um, I think it was after the Tyron signing, but – do you feel like they have done enough to overtake the Bucks as NFC South champions? Um, being completely honest, I think they have because the Saints last season, they before Jameis got hurt, they looked like they were a really good football team. And I think they still look like a really good – in fact, they look better because their strong point was their defense and you add a dynamic – game-changing type of player like Tyron Matthew to their defense. And then on offense, the only thing that was holding them back was they didn't really have any depth at wide receiver. Because when you think about it, they... Michael Thomas was there for a handful of games. Then once he left, you saw a significant drop-off. But now you bring in a guy like a Jarvis Landry. I think you, you draft a guy like Chris Olave. And you also could potentially going to be getting Michael Thomas back. So... Their weakness has now become a strength, and you already praying that with that great defense, they got better as well. So I definitely can see them overtaking the um, Bucks as the number one team in the NFC. Uh, uh, South. South. I I could definitely see it happening. Um, I think that when you look at these rosters head to head, of course the Saints have definitely gotten significantly better, and the Bucks. I kind of feel like. They've lost more than they've gained. But, I mean, they're still in a solid enough position with their roster where I still see them as a playoff team. Um, kind of like we just said with the Eagles, I really just think that it really just comes down if Jameis can, one, come back healthy, and two, this he can help kind of put all these pieces together because Michael Thomas last year hasn't played. He hasn't played in, it feels like, forever, but really it's been like maybe a year and a half, almost two. And we know how great Alvin Kamara is, but it can't just be Alvin Kamara in that offense, and I think the team knew that. So by bringing in new pieces, I'm excited to see how they're able to do things. And then plus defensively, I mean, even before getting the Honey Badger, we saw last season that they found a way to continue to keep Tom Brady and those Bucks in check. So I don't think it's a poss- an impossibility to say that they're not going to win that division, um, but I think it's still just going to be tough because I was talking about this with the Saints fan that – the thing about the Bucks is they may lose to the Bucks, I mean the Saints, but they don't lose to anybody else in the division. The Saints lose to other teams in that division who are clearly not on their level. So if they can gain some consistency, the Saints can be a really dynamic team to watch. Speaking of dynamic, uh, dynamic safety for the Cincinnati Bengals, Jesse Bates uh, III has been pretty adamant about wanting to get his money, wanting to get a contract extension. Instead, the team... Um, instead, the team has decided to put a franchise tag on him that he seems not too keen on playing on. Um, it seems like his intentions thus far is that he will not be playing on the franchise tag and would prefer to get a contract extension. So looking at what Jesse Bates has done, I mean, this past season had 88 tackles, a pick, um, definitely one of their stronger defensive players, particularly in that secondary um, over the last few years throughout his career, has 10 interceptions, over 400 tackles, um, one pick six as well. He's done a bit of everything for the Bengals. But if you're looking at that roster, do you think that they're better off just trading him? Or do you think they should try to make it work and give him the money that he wants? I think they should try to make it work simply because he's been a highly productive player for them. I think that, um, you know, I understand it's those adages of, like, you could potentially draft somebody that can make the same impact that this player has. But I'm I'm heavy on the – if you have someone that's proven, stick with the proven guy. And I think that that's what the Bengals should do is stick with the proven guy. Stick with the guy that's made plays for them for these past couple of seasons and just give him the money because, you know, the Bengals are on an uptick, like – we thought that they would be reaching the Super Bowl in maybe maybe at a minimum five years, but they reached it last year. So I think that they have a chance to make some um, 
special team, and why not continue there with the guys that's been there? Yeah, I hear you. Um, I'm kind of on the fence about it because while I I do agree with you in the sense of it's it's better the devil you know sometimes it's better to ride it out with the person who you've already have experience with you already know what you're getting out of them but on the other hand i think that i can understand kind of their their hesitation with it because you kind of got to look at the future joe burrow soon is going to get paid jamar chase soon is going to get paid if they want to keep Lyle collins they got to pay him um offensive line if they want to continue to add to that that's got to get paid Jonah Williams if they bring him back Logan Wilson is another guy there's quite a lot of guys who are bound to get big contracts and even though the Bengals have never been that much of big spenders when it comes to keeping their own they do that and I think that with safety I feel like it's a position that it's not as appreciated as it used to be and I think that by looking at what the um and by looking at what they just did in the draft, they drafted Daxton Hill out of Michigan in the first round, a versatile DB who we know can play safety. I think that even at best, I think that this was going to be Jesse Bates last year on the team because I don't think a contract was going to come. But if he seems so adamant about not wanting to sign one, I think he's just going to end up getting traded um, just because I think that they're going to realize that that money could be spent elsewhere. They The franchise tag is almost 13 mil, so they'd be able to save that money, can use that to maybe add more depth to their offensive line, maybe bring in some more corners, whatever they want to do. And so because of that, I would not be shocked if he ends up getting traded. A team that I've been hearing a lot about is the Eagles, who, I mean, looking at their defense from top to bottom, the only real question people seem to have is their safety group. So I think that would make a lot of sense if they were to pull that off. But all right, getting to some interesting stats. Um, for the last 32 years, at least four teams have made the NFL playoffs after missing them the previous year, which I thought was a pretty interesting talking point because we've just seen so many roster moves be made this past season. I mean, this past off season that it's some teams look completely unrecognizable. So before we play our game of believable or buffoonery, Ethan, what are four, who are four teams that missed the playoffs last year that you believe are going to make the jump and make it this year? If you want me to go first, I can. Yeah, because I'm trying to remember teams that didn't make the playoffs. Got you. Uh, first, I'm going to say the Los Angeles Chargers. I know it's hard for me to go against the Chiefs just winning that division, but overall I think that the Chargers head-to-toe had the best overall roster. They almost made it last year, and I think that they're a significantly better team than they were that stepped on the field week 18. Next up, Broncos, another team that's improved a lot. I think that um, – Russell Wilson is really going to help put this offense together, one that I feel like was already an underrated group to begin with. Plus, defensively, Patrick Sertan, Bradley Chubb, Randy Gregory is a solid guy as well. I think that they're going to be able to make some noise. Baltimore, a sleeper team. I feel like people are really underestimating how good the Ravens were before they got hurt. Everybody's expected to be coming back healthy, not to mention they added more tools to that defense and bolstered their offensive line. They're going to be a threat. And then the Minnesota Vikings, um, another team that they never seen – no matter how good their roster is, it just seems like they always fall short of expectations. I think that this could be the year that either they could end up winning the NFC North by a slight margin, or as you said, you thought they would win it um, with the Packers, I think, being third in the division. Um, but I think that they can do it. I mean, of course, we know Jay Jettis is a bad man. Dalvin Cook is a great player as well. Adam Thielen's going to be back in the fold. They've added to their offensive line. And then defensively, they've made a lot of moves to help improve that safety group. So, I mean, not their safety, but their secondary group. So, I think the Vikings are definitely going to be a team to watch. You want to know what's crazy? We got the same four. Yeah. Dang it. Boom, there we go. Because, I mean... I think, like we said, in the case of the Chargers, they made a lot of improvements. The Broncos, they already had really good pieces in place, but now that you add a level quarterback, the Vikings, I feel like they're definitely going to take advantage of the fact that the Packers are a weaker team than they've been in season. And I was surprised the Ravens missed the playoffs last year, but I know they had injuries, so Oh, they stay healthy. I always feel like they're gonna make the playoffs. Yeah, it's um, last season with regards to injuries was was a it was a bit excessive. It it was rough. 
It was very rough. But, all right, so let's go ahead and move on to our game of Believable or Buffoonery. Let's talk about a team that, truthfully, not many people are expecting to make the playoffs. Um, Brady Quinn, when on ES, um, CBS Sports, I'm sorry, was talking about the New York Jets and said, their season is going to be over before they get to the bye. There's a realistic scenario where they're 1-8 here, maybe 0-9. So here is the first nine games for the uh, New York Jets. Baltimore Ravens, Cleveland Browns, uh, Cincinnati Bengals, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, Miami Dolphins, Green Bay Packers, Denver Broncos, uh, New England Patriots, and Buffalo Bills. So, um, that's a pretty stacked team. So, believable or buffoonery, the Jets are bound to fail this season. Of course. Like, I'm, I'm going to be real with you. I don't care what team you have. If you have that type of schedule, you're bound to not. Like, the first nine, that's your first nine games of the season. Yeah, it's, it's done, though. Like, I understand the Jets have made significant improvements in the draft. We still have a lot of hype in the Zach Wilson becoming a superstar quarterback train. But uh, their schedule... Nah, that ain't it, my guy. They're gonna take a, they're gonna take a lot of ills early and often. Yeah, I I'm I'm calling believable on that too. I mean, even with realistically looking at this, if Deshaun Watson gets suspended, I think they can I think they can beat the Browns. I think they can beat the Dolphins. Uh, maybe Patriots. So that's like what three and six. That, that's not. That's not good. And like, I don't get me wrong. Like, I really, I give a lot of praise to what the Jets have been able to do this offseason and the and then the draft. I mean, added some really key guys. I'm excited to see Sauce and Jermaine Johnson and Brees Hall, all that jazz. But I don't think those rookies are gonna save you from this hellish early part of your schedule. So, um, good luck, Jets fans, because that that that's a bit intense. All right, let's talk about a team that did make the playoffs. And not only made the playoffs, but won the Super Bowl, the Los Angeles Rams. It's kind of been a will-they-won't-they saga about them bringing back Odell Beckham Jr. And while both sides have expressed interest in making that happen, we still sit here with Odell as a free agent. Um, Rams head coach uh, Sean McVay talked about the drama and said, I really want Odell back on our team. He's a guy that in a short amount of time, we were able to develop a really special relationship. And I mean, rightfully so. Had a touchdown in the Super Bowl, was going to look like the Super Bowl MVP up until just from what week 12 to the regular season had seven touchdowns. I mean, Odell really reminded everybody that he's a bad, bad man. So believable or buffoonery. Odell Beckham Jr. will return to L.A. Uh, being completely honest, the, the longer the wait time for him to get signed, the more likely I think he's going to return to L.A. I think, and the reason I'm saying that is because if a team, we've had some wide receiver needy teams in these, um, this, during this offseason. One of them being your Baltimore Ravens. Yes. And it's like we understand that Odell, this is his second, what, second or third, like, major injury. But we've seen him have, display the ability to come back from those injuries. And it's also, I think, uh, at this point in his career, you could, you could throw Odell a flyer contract um, a proving deal to prove that he can stay healthy and be productive, and I think you can get the best out of him. But because no one's done that, I think Odell is just going to be like, "Hey, I'm going to take a cheaper deal, and I'm going to stay with the Rams, and we're going to run it back." I think it's kind of like the opposite of that is happening because I don't know if you've been paying attention, like stuff that he's tweeted out or that he said, but he was like. Dang, I wish I remember like verbatim what he said, but it has something in regards to like, I'm not gonna, it's like, I love y'all, but I'm not gonna play for free. And I mean, we saw how much the Rams has been in free agency getting Bobby Wagner, um, giving other guys extensions, signing Allen Robinson. They've spent quite a bit of money, so I'm sure they may not have 
as much available in cap space to give Odell what he feels like he deserves. And, I mean, if I'm Odell, I just signed with y'all kind of on a veteran's minimum, just like kind of on a prove-it deal. And I think that I proved myself. Yeah, I tore my ACL, but I did it in the Super Bowl. And as I mentioned, I was balling out before I got hurt. So if I'm him, I want my money. And I don't know how much money he's expecting to get, but I think they should pay him. I think that even though Allen Robinson is great, Cooper Cup is a bad man. I don't think either of them have the explosiveness that Odell gives you. And I feel like that could be a really final piece. You put that in there and then boom, I think that you put you have probably the most lethal offense in the entire NFL. So if I'm the Rams, I don't know how you cut corners. I don't know how you make it happen. But I think you give Odell his money, and I think he ends up going back. Continuing on great 2010s wide receivers, Unfortunately, we got to talk about Antonio Brown a bit because he's always a topic of conversation for some reason. So he made headlines um, a couple days ago when he stated on Twitter that he's just want to retire a Steeler. After people were speculating that meant he wanted to play for the Steelers, he also said not play, just retire, so we're clear. After that announcement, quite a few former Steelers spoke out on his behalf, saying that not only should he get the chance to do it, but Vince Williams, a former linebacker for the team, said that Antonio Brown was the best wide receiver in Steelers history and backed up his claims. He said, I'm not dissing the legends, I'm comparing the legends. For a stretch, A.B. was the best wide receiver in the NFL, Lynn Swan, was never better than Harold Jackson or Cliff Branch, in my opinion. John Starworth was never better than Harold Jackson in the 70s and wasn't better than uh, Jerry Rice in the 80s. I'm comparing players in their respective eras. Now someone want to run those 2013-2018 AB numbers real quick. AB is the best Steelers receiver ever, so yeah, he should retire a Steeler. The Steelers were well known as one of the most historic um franchises in the nfl have had some terrific players but believable or buffoonery ab tops the list as their greatest wide out i think it's believable um i don't know much about the history of the Steelers um wide receivers but i've known what i have known is that the Steelers have always been a great defensive team like you know more about their defense than you do the offensive players and yes, they had they do have names that stick out as receivers, like you said, Lance Swan. Heinz um, Ward is I, another one that got I, missed. Yeah. Yeah, Heinz Ward, uh for a brief stretch, and Santonio Holmes, Mike Williams. But I think that I agree in the sense of that none of these none of those former receivers that we named ever garnered attention as the best wide receiver in the NFL. To be honest, Heinz Ward is my favorite receiver of all time because I just love his toughness. I love the fact that he his blocking ability. I just love the fact that he was a dude that he went out there and he balled out. But he never put up the numbers that A.B. put up. So I think it's some merit behind what he's saying. Yeah, I say believable as well because, I mean, we talk about – you know, every team and fan is going to have a different opinion about the greatest this or the greatest that. But, I mean, I think Vince Williams made some really good points because even in Heinz Ward's era, I don't think there was ever a point when you sat back and said he's the best wide receiver in the league. And this is no discredit against him. I mean, he was terrific. But, I mean, he was in the league at the same time as Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Randy Moss. Other guys like that who were just straight-up dogs So you knew when you look at this team, they're their team's best player. And, I mean, as you mentioned, the Steelers have always been like that ground-and-pound team. They've always been that defensive team. So during the time Hines War was there, yeah, we know that Hines is great, but Troy Polamalu is right on that other side of that defense wreaking havoc. Or James Harrison would be another guy that people thought of. So I'm going to say believable. I mean, A.B. was there when the Steelers kind of made that transition into being more known as an offensive team, and he helped lead the charge. So I'm calling believable. All right, now this isn't a believable or buffoonery. It's more so of a would you rather, and it's from the standpoint of the New Orleans Saints. So Drew Brees made headlines um, earlier this week after he tweeted out, despite speculation from media about my future this fall, I'm currently undecided. I may work for NBC. I may play football again. I may focus on business and philanthropy. I may train for the pickleball tour, senior golf tour, coach my kids, or all the above. I'll let you know. 
Which, of course, got people raising their eyebrows thinking, hey, maybe Drew Brees may want to return to the Saints. Those uh, feelings were also at pushed after the team announced the signing of Juice Landry to where Drew Brees tweeted out, man, signing Juice Landry and Matthew and Tyron Matthew make me want to come back and play again. Great additions, leaders, and players. So let's say you are the Saints. Would you rather ride it out with Jameis and see what you have or call, uh, bring back Drew Brees for one last ride? I'm riding it out with Jameis. Um, yes, I know he's come off an injury, but like I think I stated earlier, before Jameis got hurt, the Saints were a above-average football team, and he had a, a role to play in that. And I think with Drew Brees, we saw – we saw him on his last legs. We saw him in a very similar situation to Peyton Manning with the Broncos where his balls didn't have the same zip. He didn't have that. Basically, he just didn't have it anymore. And as much as we love Drew Brees and as much as the city of New Orleans loves Drew Brees, I think if they, I think they would be smart to just ride it out with Jameis unless you bring Drew Brees back and solely have him in the place of a mental role for James. But as far as just throwing him out on the field as a starting quarterback, I don't think that's the thing that they should do. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I'm riding with Jameis. I mean, I think you hit it on the head. Those last couple of years of Drew Brees were brutal to watch. And I think that there were some points when he actually held the team back. And when he was under center, they just were not performing. And then, like you mentioned, when Jameis was playing, they looked like a significantly better team, I mean, especially compared to when Taysom Hill and even Ian Book had to take snaps for them. So, yeah, I'm going to grant that you. I think that, yes, Drew Brees is absolutely a legend. And if he wanted to come in a coaching capacity, hell, yeah, that'd be brilliant. But as the starting quarterback, I think that that does the team more harm than good at this point. But, all right, let's go ahead and talk about the NBA Ethan, what are your top three takeaways from this past week of action? Um, it's a perfect we've been talking spicy recently. Um, one being Pat Bell, another one being Damian Lillard, another one being Danny Green. So it's a lot of spicy talk in the NBA. Um, I think as far as the playoff scenario, I think that the Eastern Conference is going to be the better, the better series overall. I understand that the Celtics blew out the Heat this past game, but I think it's going to be a seven-game series. Yeah. As far as the as far as the West, I'm going to be honest. I think the West might be a gentleman sweep because I think that the the only thing about the Mavs is. They don't really have anyone else outside of Luca, and you can let you can either go about it one or two ways. You can either try to focus all your attention on Luca, or you can try to let Luca just get hit and shut everybody else down. I don't think they have the firepower to match with Golden State to match because Golden State they aren't that great of a defensive team, but they can have really great defensive moments. And uh, number, I guess you could say number one is that I feel like it's going to be an interesting draft season seeing the, um, seeing the draft lottery and how it rounded out. Yeah, and we'll definitely get to that uh, draft lottery in a bit. But all right, let's go ahead and pick our Mambas of this past week, starting with the Eastern Conference. I know that, like you mentioned, that he got blown out last night. But, I mean, Jimmy Butler and just, I don't even say, just this whole month has been playing at a different level. Game one dropped 41 points in 41 minutes with nine boards, five assists, and four seals against the Celtics. Really was just all over the court. Really helped lead that comeback charge that, I mean, they won the game so decisively. Game one, that you people forget that they were down in the first place. And even uh, last night, dropped 29. Really was helping to do everything he can to help get the team where it needs to be, even if his teammates weren't doing the same. Uh, yeah, for me, it's also Jimmy Butler. I think I think Kendrick Perkins put the nail on the head where Jimmy Butler is a postseason star, whereas he kind of, in a very similar fashion to um, to LeBron, he, he kind of coached during the regular season. He might have a couple splash games here and there, but once the postseason hits, they swoop 
he becomes a different player. And in game one, you definitely saw it, especially in their second half. In game two, unfortunately for their loss, but you still saw that he still had that dog in him. Yeah, no, nah, I love me some Jimmy Butler. All right, so Western Conference Mamba. I'm going Luka Doncic. Yes, I know that he didn't have the strongest performance against the Warriors game one, but we also have to take into account this past week. That also includes the conclusion of the Sun series where he was their father. And, um, yeah, I don't think much needs to be, more needs to be said on that one. Um, for me, it pains me to say it, but I'm going to go Steph Curry. I think he, he closed out the Grizzlies series on fire, and he also towards the mouth, so I got to go still. That's fair. All right, let's go ahead and look at this current playoff picture. Uh, you and I, we kind of talked about it earlier. The series right now in the Eastern Conference tied 1-1. One to one. Heat winning game one, Celtics winning game two. Push comes to shove, I think we both can agree it's going to end up going seven. But who walks away Eastern Conference champs? I really, I think this is the one thing that's a toss-up. I want to say... Miami simply because I just like a lot of the pieces on their team. Mm-hmm. But you also you saw once they brought back Marcus Smart and Al Horford, this is drastically different. So I'm going to say he, but I wouldn't be surprised if Boston pulls it out. Yeah, I hear you. Um, it's been fun watching Tatum and. Tatum and Jimmy Butler go blow for blow. And it's like, I don't know, maybe it's the Lakers fan in me that doesn't want to pick the Celtics. But I I think they can do it in seven. I think that, especially if Marcus Smart is able to stay healthy, I think that his defensive presence is going to play a huge role. Because he may not be able to do nothing with Jimmy Butler, but I think he could play a, a dividends in helping to defend Tyler Harrow. And also it's worth mentioning P.J. Tucker, who is a really big – he's – Numbers may not reflect it, but he's a really big piece of that Miami Heat team just because he helps bring the attitude and further the grit. So I think that that's something worth paying attention to as well. Kyle Lowry, I don't even know the timetable on when he's going to come back, but I do think that if he does return, I think that they will do. He will help to kind of bring that veteran leadership to the team. And it's it's tough, but I, I think I'm going to go, unfortunately, I think I'm going to go Celtics in seven but I wouldn't be mad about being wrong. But, all right, you kind of mentioned it. You felt like it was going to end up being a sweep. Uh, Golden State's already up one game over the Dallas Mavericks that play again tonight. I think we can both agree that we think the Warriors are going to end up winning tonight. But what's it going to take for the Warriors – I mean, what's it going to take for the Mavs not to get swept, in your opinion? They're going to have to play the same type of defense that they played in all the, in the other previous series. The thing of it is – the, what they lack offensively as far as like the over-reliance of Luka on offense. They make up for it because they play extremely stingy defense. The only thing is is when you play in a team like Golden State they can spread you out especially when you have that lineup of Clay, um, Steph and Jordan Poole. They can spread you out and they have shooting basically in every, in every position. It stretches your defense out, and it makes it easier to find holes in their defense. But I think the only way the Mavs are going to win is they're going to have to lock up. Yeah, and I think – and it's tough to ask that because I think that when you look at the arsenals of shooters that the Warriors have, I mean, it's second to none um, with the remaining playoff teams because we know Luka is great by himself. And, I mean, sometimes you'll get good games from – Bronze, Jalen Bronson, sometimes you'll get games from Spencer Dinwiddie, but we know it's the Luka show for the Warriors just by any given night. They're going to be able to ball out, so I, I agree. I think that defense is going to play the biggest role in them changing the tide. But you mentioned it uh, during your takeaways, but let's go ahead and talk about the NBA draft lottery that took place this past Tuesday. And here are the results. Uh, the Orlando Magic get the first overall pick, second Oklahoma City Thunder, third, Houston Rockets, fourth, Sacramento Kings, fifth, Detroit 
Pistons, six Indiana Pacers, seven Portland Trailblazers, eight New Orleans Saints, nine San Antonio Spurs, 10 Washington Wizards, 11 New York Knicks, 12 Oklahoma City Thunder, 13 Charlotte Hornets, 14 Cleveland Cavaliers. So let's talk some winners and losers from this draft lottery. Would you like, let's start off on a positive note. Let's talk about the winners. Would you like to go back and forth, one at a time? How do you want to do this? All right, so one of my biggest winners is going to be the Orlando Magic. First things first, I mean, you get the first overall pick. Nobody's really ever going to complain about that. This allows an opportunity to add to their young core, made up of Cole Anthony. Um, oh, my gosh. The rookie they just got out of Michigan, whose name I just forgot, Wendell Carter. Oh, thank you, Franz Wagner. Uh, Wendell Carter is still there. So this – I know nobody's going to expect whoever they draft to turn the magic around, but at the very least they're building a really solid young core that hopefully within the next few years can start putting it together. So they're one of my winners. Um, I'm also in agreement with the magic, but I'm going to name another team. I'm going to say the Houston Rockets. Um, they have the third overall pick. They, they're going to be able to add to what they had last year when they drafted Jalen Green. And I think that – they're the type of team that you're going to see very similar and reminiscent to that Oklahoma City team of years past where you didn't see it right off, right away. But in a year, a year to two, maybe three years from now, you're going to look up and they're going to be a really exciting young team to watch. And it's going to, they might make noise. So I got to say Houston. All right, next, another one. I'm going to say the New York Knicks. Um, got the 11th overall pick. And, I mean, let's be honest. The Knicks are not a team that are really focused on rookies. They're not – they're not – I don't – I'd be shocked if they actually held on to this pick, which is why I think they're a winner because I think that it allows them trade ammunition to go after those big fish, to go after superstar players who they hope can kind of get them back to the playoffs. Um, I think the obvious one has to be Oklahoma City simply because, if I'm not mistaken, they have two picks in the top – Top 10? Uh, two in the top 12. Two and 12. Yeah. So, two in the top 12. And we all know that going into this, we knew that Sam Presley had a lot of draft capital. And just to see how now they have a top or top five pick and another top top 12 pick, you can really fill out, start to fill out that roster and maybe build around Shea Alexander. And maybe we'll sooner or later we'll see a different OKC than the team that kind of has been a laughing stock of the NBA. Maybe we'll start to see them make movement towards being a young old twenty team that makes the playoffs. Fair enough. All right, let's go ahead and look at some losers. Uh, for me, I'm gonna say the Portland Trailblazers have to be considered a loser. The seventh pick is not necessarily bad, but one, I thought that they were going to move up a bit, get an earlier pick. And not to mention, I mean, they need a lot of help on this roster, especially if they are really convincing themselves that they are going to try to make a contender around uh, Damian Lillard. I'm sure they would have wanted to get picked much earlier. Yeah, I'm in agreement with Portland simply because, and it's also this thing, we're still in this ongoing sweet states of it's not even going to stay in Portland. Right. And you, you've traded CJ, you've traded other pieces. Yes, you've gained some nice young pieces in return. But I feel like they kind of put, this is one of those situations where I think they put all of their eggs in one basket and hoping that they could get a really, really good draft pick. And like you said, the seventh pick isn't bad, but it's it's a difference in being in the top five than being the seventh draft overall draft pick. Yeah. Um, so I got to agree with you with Portland as well. Yeah, and also because, I mean, I think, like, NFL terms, if you're a top seven pick, I mean, you're set. But the NBA, I think, one, because it's only two rounds, and two, I mean, there's much less success stories from NBA drafts as opposed to NFL drafts. So it's like every pick matters. And so whereas, like I said, other drafts, you get taken in the top five or the top ten, it's like you're golden, you're set. But we've seen so many times where guys are taken in the top ten and they may not even be in the league two, three years from now. So, we, it really just depends on how you draft. But, all right, um, another loser for me, I would say the Washington Wizards. They're another team about with the Bradley Bill situation, like will they, won't they. I think 
I'll say this. I think I have more confidence that Beal will be on the team next year. But even still, I mean, I just if I think they find themselves, like, in purgatory. Like, I feel like no matter who they bring in with the 10th pick, unless they, like, come out and are just a, a star from jump, I think that the Wizards are still going to be that try-hard team who just can't get it done. Well, for me, I agree with the Wizards, but I'm also going to say the Detroit Pistons. And I think a big reason is because they're in the top team of picks, but it's like my big thing is are they going to draft the right person? Because they've had numerous chances to draft a uh, to draft high-level, high picks, and they all seem to not pan out. Yeah. Kay Cunningham panned out, but I mean, Kay Cunningham was the number one overall pick in a lot of people's minds. Right. And he had supreme talent, but it's those things to where it's like, are you going to properly, are you going to be able to properly evaluate what you need on your team to make, to further your team? I mean, even further your team's success, but to help grow your team's success. And I just don't think that the Pistons are going to do that. Yeah, I don't really. I think you really kind of hit on the head. Like, with regards to drafts, they have not been the most stout drafting team in a while. I mean, I think Kay Cunningham can be the exception to that, but overall it has not been pretty. Speaking of things that have not been pretty, Patrick Beverly, as we know, is a menace to society. He is the basketball equivalent to black Air Forces, Air Force Ones. And he came to national TV to air his grievances out against the Phoenix Suns and more specifically Chris Paul following their Game 7 collapse against the Dallas Mavericks. Um, He was on the ESPN circuit on Monday. And here are just a few of the things that he had to say. Um, CP3 can't guard. Nobody in the NBA, everybody in the NBA knows that he's a cone. I, do I go to bed at 10 p.m. the night before playing Chris Paul? Hell no. But if I'm playing Steph, I'm going to bed at 8 p.m. and telling my girl not to call me. Further comments were made. Um, Let me find it. Oh, yeah. He also replied to multiple tweets where people, for example, Jeremy Lin discussed uh, Chris Paul and said, dang, I really hope CP3 gets a championship before he retires. He de- deserves one. Hashtag legend. To which Patrick Beverly said, what you mean deserves? Why does he deserve it more? And then he made the decision to air out conversations with fellow NBA players. Um, for example, that saying that nobody was scared of the Phoenix Suns and or anybody on that roster. Even name dropping Paul George said, I talked to Paul George last night. Ain't nobody scared of Phoenix. Needless to say, he had a lot of things to get off his chest, which quite a few NBA players did not necessarily respect. For example, uh, Damian Lillard commented on his uh, remarks and said, bro, on TV, talking like his word is law. Speaking on private conversations and praying on MF's downfall. This weird behavior, shaking my head, I ain't got a horse in this race. Um, Somebody tweeted out, Dame, and said, not gonna lie, his his stats aren't bad. He said, because nobody is guarding this man, which, I mean, that is a fact. Uh, Matt Barnes also hopped in it and said, Pat Bev talking like he's that guy. You're not that guy. Plain and simple, Chris Paul played terrible this series, and his numbers are still better than your career numbers have ever been. Danny Green even hopped into the phone and said, bro, people target you too, Pat Bev. You ain't stopping Luca. It's time and time again I see Luca call you a little ass man. Pat Beverly, ladies and gentlemen, never a dull moment. Ethan, is Pat Bev just being a hater or is there some merit to his critiques of Chris Paul? He being a hater. This and this is coming from a guy who is a Grizzlies fan who went through those years of hating Chris Paul because he played on the Los Angeles Clippers. For one, Chris Paul can defend. He's led the NBA in steals numerous of times. He's also been on all defensive teams. And like I understand, I saw so heard the story where he said the beef originally came from. Yeah, one like, of those camps. Yeah, they were in one of those ABC camps, um, and he gave Chris Paul the blues and yada, yada, yada. Destroyed him. Like, yeah, destroyed him. And it's like, bro, so you, you still holding on to a grudge from maybe what? 
So Chris Paul is 37. So it's probably all close to 20 years ago. Yeah. Like, come on, bro. It's like, funny. And I do, I do. The only thing I don't agree with is what Danny Green said about him being a cone. But I do agree with him saying Luca went at him. Because I remember those videos of Luca calling Pat Bell a little boy. So I think it's just one of those things where it's like, hey, bro, you bit off more than you can chew. And I don't even, I'm not going to even say apologize because I don't want Paul, Pat Bell to apologize. I just want him to like be like, hey, I'm not the, I'm not the star of this thing. Yeah. Let me not talk like I'm the best player. Yeah, because like people going to talk stuff regardless, but it's just <laughs> – for me personally, it carries a lot less weight if you're not a top player at your position. Nonetheless, being a top player on your team because you're not. And, like, I understand Pat Bev is well known for his defense. He's very controversial. Yada this, yada that. But in true com- push comes to shove, No, in no area can you hold a candle to Chris Paul. And so it's like, yes, I know it's easy to kind of rag on Chris Paul now, but, like, what he's accomplished in half of his career torches anything else you have done. And so it's just like, you just talking, you're just talking to hear yourself talk. Like even people who don't like Chris Paul are still like, nah, you're, you're being weird. Like you're just talking out the side of your neck because you don't know what you're talking about. And it's, it's a bad, overall, it's just a really bad look. Like you may, people may not really fear the Suns or they may not, I get that, whatever. But if you want to talk about the Suns and their performance the night before, okay, cool. But the fact that you just want to use this as an opportunity to rag on Chris Paul, ain't nobody, nobody's been having that. But right, talking, just, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, I also was just gonna say, I just think it's beat between the Timberwolves and the Suns' speed. Yeah. Because I remember seeing the video. Did you see the Anthony Edwards video? Uh, uh, uh-uh, I didn't watch it fully. So it was a video of Anthony Edwards watching game the game seven against the um, other Suns and Mavs and when they were getting blown out and he was like he was like I told he was like y'all talked all this shit during the season y'all talked all this shit during the season yeah I know I'm at home but y'all ass at home just like me yeah 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 so, I know what you talking I about I read that quote yeah so I think it's just I think it's just a little natural beef between them. Because I think one one of the things that happened might have happened was that once the Suns kind of made it to the finals last year, they kind of felt like they could sun teams, and now people on other teams just kind of don't like them because it's like, yeah, bro, like we know y'all good, but y'all not as good as y'all think y'all are, and y'all kind of got you know exposed. Yeah, and I think um, I don't know if it was Anthony Edwards or it was Patrick Beverly who said this, but I think it was Pat Bev who um, he was saying that, one, they wanted to see them in the playoffs, which, I mean, if you got beef, of course you want to see that respective team. But also he was, I think it was Chris Paul or one of their players who was like, we're going to make the playoffs, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and y'all going to be at home. Y'all not going to make the playoffs. Okay, yeah, I think that was Ann who said that last part. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure it is beef, but it's still like, I'll, I'll say this. I would have, it would mean more to me if Ant said this than Patrick Beverly. Because I feel like at least Ant is a real contributor and is somebody who the Timberwolves need, and obviously Pat is not. In my opinion, I know everybody. In my opinion, Ant is the key to that team. I agree. Because I I feel like once they understand and realize that Anthony Edwards is their best player and to get him the ball and to go through him, that team will take off. Yeah. Like, and a lot, I'm not trying to sound anti-cat because I don't like cat as a player and now after this Gilby series I really don't like him as a player but I, he's not the guy that you go to no. it's Anthony Edwards it was moments in this playoffs against the Grizzlies where you saw like he's the guy you get the ball to when he hit that corner trailer to tie the game up he's the guy you get the ball to not cat and cat this cat is going to be that guy he's going to take a 30 foot three pointer air ball when you need to value your possession yeah. So, and I mean, for years, Cat really had the opportunity. He was the guy, like undisputed guy in Minnesota, and he had his time and his opportunity to really show everybody that that was his team, that he could lead them to victory. And 
several years later, we see that that's not happening. Whereas Ant has come in and from jump, he's really been a major spark for that organization. So I agree with you in that regard. But all right, let's talk. Let let's talk about CP3 in a non-hater way. After the game, uh, game seven, he said, we'll be right back here next year. I'm not retiring, which is great. But then it has raised the question of, will CP3 ever get a ring? Ethan, I think you and I will both agree that the Suns are going to be playoff contenders. They're going to be a fine team. But will CP3 ever get that elusive brass ring and be an NBA champion? Because I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think so neither. I think I think if he were to get one this this two year stretch that he had with Phoenix was his best chance to get. Yeah. And now that he now that it hasn't happened, I don't think he will. Because like, yes, the Suns were the best team in the West this year, but we're looking at it's the it's like things are changing as you like draft dramatically. Like we look, we're looking at the Grizzlies team that was second in the West. Nobody expected. We're assuming they're going to build off the success. I don't think they're going to have the same caliber of record, but I think they're going to be a better team because they have that experience from the playoffs. You're looking at the Golden State Warriors. They seem like they have a healthy Clay. You're going to bring in a, a Clay who doesn't, who can focus on his game during the offseason instead of rehabbing from injury. You're going to bring back Steph. You're going to bring back Draymond. You're going to bring back a Jordan Poole who knows that he can be a successful player in this league, and let alone in the playoff. Like, I think it's so many variables. And I'm just talking about the Western Conference. We're right. not even talking about the East, where it's like we have a team like Miami who has shown that, hey, they can be their team again. A lot of people have written them off um, during the bubble, thinking, like, ah, that was just a fluke. But they they shown that they can make it to at least the final, the um, Eastern Conference Finals and maybe the Western and maybe the NBA Finals. You have a young team like Boston that's hungry and is growing, is getting better, and they're they're showing their merit right now against Miami. You have a Philadelphia 76ers team. Yes, they have question marks, but they still also have great building pieces, like foundational building pieces. You still have Joel Embiid. You've seen that Tyrese Maxey is made for the moment and willing to step up in those moments. You have Brooklyn who, yes, they have question marks, but they have a KD, Kyrie on combination that now you don't have to worry about a vaccine mandate with Kyrie. He, he's going to be able to play all 82 games, however many games he's going to be able to play next season. Then you bring in the Ben Simmons factor who, once he steps on the court, I think he'll be a tremendous addition to them. I think that then not discrediting Milwaukee because they they under in some people's opinion they underperform, but you have Milwaukee, you're gonna bring back a healthy Chris Middleton, a healthy Drew Holiday, a healthy Giannis, who is made up made more strides in this game this past season. So I just think that like from an overall spectrum, like I don't think that Chris Paul is gonna get a ring because everything around He's getting older, and yes, he's good. He's still a tremendous. He's still a really productive and good NBA player. But everything around him is getting better as he's getting older. And at some point, that that age, their timeline is going to fluctuate, and it's going to be a shift. Yeah, and kind of talking about. I mean, I think you really hit it on the head. I like I said, we both agree that we don't think he was going to get another ring. But I think you hit it on the head because. That's just looking at the potential shifts of teams around the NBA. That doesn't even look at the changes that his own team could make. Uh, for example, leading into our game of believable or buffoonery, um, a Woj of ESPN talked about DeAndre Aiden and his benching in Game 7 and said, DeAndre Aiden did not feel valued by the Phoenix organization, so now he moves toward restricted free agency. Uh, Aiden is going to get a max contract somewhere. There are a lot of teams lining up to figure out how to acquire him. So, believable or buffoonery, DeAndre Aiden will be out of Phoenix this summer. It's believable. I think that the fact that they didn't extend him during the offseason prior to this season and the fact that um, he feels like he is he isn't properly valued. And I think that one of the things that has happened was they put a lot of stock into Chris Paul and Devin Booker being the two lead dogs of their team. 
what they undervalued the fact that DeAndre Aiden played significant roles on their team this past season and the season before as well. Like, we wouldn't have had one of their most um, no- notable moments of the postseason last year than, um, what's it, the Valley Hoop, mm-hmm. if it wasn't for DeAndre Aiden catching that log. Yeah. Um, he played, he, he, he stepped up big in big moments for them over the course of these two seasons, and I think that they have undervalued him, and I think that he's going to go to a team. I don't think that he's going to be necessarily the best player for a team, but he could be a really good piece for a team. Yeah, and I mean, not to mention he's going to make the bag, because the team has already expressed like they didn't feel comfortable giving him a max extension, which is fair. I mean, I think you and Ty talked about it, like, he was your third best player. I, I understand not having the hesitation to want to give him that much money. Um, but, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think it's believable. I think he is going to be out of there. Uh, continuing on our conversation about the Phoenix Suns, let's talk their coach, Monty Williams. Um, in a recent podcast by JT and the Don, they said, it should have been Spo as coach of the year. The Heat had the same seating, tougher conference, less talent, and higher degree of difficulty. He's been disrespected year after year. So, believable or buffoonery, Eric Spolster of the Miami Heat would have been a better choice for coach of the year than Monty Williams. I'm calling buffoonery. I'm calling buffoonery, but I don't think it should have been Monty Williams, per se. I think they gave it to Monty Williams this year because they missed it last year. Last year. Yeah. But in my personal opinion, I have been banging the drum. I thought Taylor Jenkins should have won Coach of the Year this year. Yeah. No, no disregard to what Spo has done. He had a he's had a tremendous season, and he's one of the all time great coaches, especially of this generation. But I think when you look at with Taylor Jenkins, when you have a team that going into the season initially, everybody thought that their team was going to be fighting for a play-in seed like they did the season before. Right. Like, us as Grizzlies fans, we were saying, like, hey, if we make this step to where we make it in the fifth or the sixth seed and we don't have the vibe for a play-in situation, that is a good season. So you take that into consideration and to see that he was the we, – we, the Grizzlies are – were the second-best team in the Western Conference record-wise. Also, I think the second-best team record-wise in, in the, the league as a whole. Mm-hmm. And – that also attributes to game like twenty plus games without their best player in Jopperin. In my opinion, it should have been Taylor Jenkins, but so I'm gonna say Buffoner. I said Buffoner, I think Monty Monty overs Eric Spolstra, but Taylor Jenkins definitely had a bone in that fight. I think that I think they had Taylor Jenkins won, I think it would have made a lot of sense. But like you said, I mean they kinda had to make up for not giving it to Monty last year. So it is what it is. All right, next question. Talking about your Grizzlies, actually, uh, following the conclusion of their series against the um, Golden State Warriors, uh, Dylan Brooks said, they know we're coming. We're going to become every single year. We're young. They're old. To which Steph replied, he said a lot of crazy things. He called himself a dynasty already. On to the next round. So, believable or buffoonery, the Memphis Grizzlies are a dynasty in the making. Oh, I'm going to say believable, but I'm going to put a precaution on it. Because in order to be a dynasty, you have to win championships. Yeah. I think that the Grizzlies, they have the potential to be a dynasty, but it hinges on them winning. So, if they don't win, they're not a dynasty. But I do think that the thing with the Grizzlies that the Warriors can full on understand is the Warriors was in the, were in the same position as they were a young up and coming team that took the lead by storm and it went it had moments where they went up against the the old the old veteran in LeBron and they overcame the top dog. I think that it is true of the Grizzlies where now they're going to be in this position of like. They're still the young, up-and-coming, scrappy team, and they're going to have moments against these veterans. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see if, the, if they play the Warriors again in the playoffs next year. Right. And it's going to be another dog fight. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm sorry. Say believable. Yeah, I think I'm gonna say believable too, but it's more so. I think it's less that, like, yeah, I think that they're going to start being in a conversation for like NBA championships, but I think that they're going to be a team that you have to look out for because I mean. I think you really hit it on the head. The Warriors, what, this 20, let's say, what, 10 years ago? 
nine years ago, they were in this exact same position. Nobody really expected to see them coming, but year after year, they were giving teams the blues. That year, that um, I think it was 2014 was the year. Yeah, because they won their first ring in 15. So, yeah, 2014, they made an improbable playoff run, and teams were – really had to take note of them and then they just started to perpetually be in the finals they were that team and I think that we kind of see that same and even though they do it differently than the Warriors did those years ago we're starting to see that same kind of hunger and that same kind of desire with the Memphis Grizzlies and I think that especially because people are still underestimating them like yeah everybody knows John Moran John Moran is great we love John but people aren't talking about how great Desmond Bain was this season how defensively strong uh Triple J was like there was just a lot of guys on this team from top to bottom that made key contributions and didn't get talked about so I could see it I could definitely see it happening but all right let's go ahead and move on to Damian Lillard another player on the quest for a ring he was asked on Twitter if you ever want to pick a player that would help you get into the playoffs finals maybe who would you pick only in the present time and he said Giannis so let, let's put on our fantasy world glasses real quick. Believable or buffoonery, the duo of Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo would help the Portland Trailblazers make a finals run. Mm, with their current roster, no. Fair. But with CJ and Co., I would say yes. With CJ and Co., it's an obvious yes. But I think even if you were to just like rebuild their roster to fit those two guys, I could definitely see it happen. Fair. Now, if you were, huh? Oh, I was I was agreeing with you. Now I was gonna say now if you were to put it on the reverse and you put that and you replace Drew Holiday with Dane, I think it uh, definitely they will make it to the NBA final. Yeah, I agree. Because, I mean, just from top to bottom, the Bucks have a better roster than the Trailblazers do. So, yeah, I agree with you on that one. All right, last piece. Let's let's talk about Dwayne Wade. We always have the conversation, hear the conversations of who are the greatest players of all time, the greatest champions, blah, blah, blah. And Dwayne Wade said, next time you have that conversation, put me in it. He said, you can't talk about basketball without mentioning me. You can't talk about being a champion without mentioning me. So, believable or buffoonery, Dwayne Wade deserves to be mentioned among the all-time greats. And I think that kind of looking at, if I'm looking at an all-time great, I'm just kind of also looking at the success that their teams had when they were the guy. That 2006 run, yeah, Shaq got there, but it was really Dwayne Wade who led that charge to get that ring. And then after that, yes, the Heat were, were always in the playoffs. They were always competitive, but it really took LeBron and Chris Bosh getting there for them to really get back into that championship atmosphere. And I don't think anybody can really deny that it was LeBron's team when that happened. So, I don't want to say buffoonery because I think when somebody is the best player that their organization has had, like in the case of the Miami Heat, I think that that definitely deserves respect. But like you mentioned, when I'm talking about Kobe, MJ, Magic, LeBron, I don't I don't classify him in that same realm. And so, and those are guys who I view among the all-time greats, so... I hate to say buffoonery, but buffoonery. Like, I think he deserves more attention and more recognition for what he was able to accomplish in his career. But in terms of the all-time greats, I, I I can't put him in that conversation. Like, if I say, like, some of the best to do it, sure. But the all-time greats, like, end-all, be-all, top 10, best players to step on the court, nah. I'm sorry, but no. 
But all right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out TheXReport.net. I repeat, TheXReport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours, truly, and fellow export writers. Previous episodes are a lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, anything you want to say before we close out this bad boy? Uh, I'm ready. I'm looking forward to the NFL season this year. I'm Mike. I might be trying to go to a, a Titans game or two this year, depending on, you know, how my financial situation looks. But I think it's going to be a fun season. Uh, and really, it's, it's boring without the Grizzlies right now. I feel Being truthfully and utterly honest. I feel that. I mean, once your favorite team is out of it, it's like you might be rooting for specific players, but you really don't got to – you don't really got a bone in this fight. Um yeah, I mean, I'm always ready for the football season. So, especially with after the draft season and looking at press conferences and all that stuff, now I'm just ready for the preseason. I'm ready to see people start hitting. I'm ready to see people back up the trash talk. And um, I'm just ready for the most wonderful time of the year. And Yeah. Thank you for listening. Um, as always, please be sure to check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast on our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. We'll see you all next time.